This is Talking Points, Ken's politics podcast. Hello and welcome to Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast. I'm your host, Oliver Kemp, and with me, as always, is our political editor, Paul Francis. How are you doing, Paul? Good, thanks. And it, we should note this is the 10th podcast we've done. Whoa, earlier. double figures, everyone. Ooh, yeah. And Can you no, hear the cheering? No jokes about audiences, either. Mm-hmm. Oh, audience <laughs> figures. Something, something, less than 10 people. Um, (laughs) So this week on our 10th episode, uh, we're going to be talking coronavirus, accusations of government bullying and new horizons for Manston Airport. So as usual, we've got lots to talk about. And as usual, we've not been on time with with releasing episodes either. No, this is one of the, uh, sometimes the difficulties we both have getting together in the same room to to do the podcast. We're busy. We're very busy, aren't we? There's a lot going on. There is a lot lot going on. Speaking of a lot going on, and I think our top top story for today's podcast has to be uh, the coronavirus. So obviously coverage on this has been huge. Anyone who's taken a, a slight glance at any news anywhere will be aware of, of the coronavirus and the fact that we've had our first case in Kent this week. Um, Paul, what's the reactions from politicians and councils been like so far? Well, I was speaking to the leader of Kent County Council, Roger Goff, at the start of this week, and... Uh, I think they are very well aware that you know some some things are going to come at them like like a train if uh, the the predictions are correct about the numbers of people uh, getting the uh, getting the virus. So but, this is this is sorry just to interrupt. So anyone that doesn't know, this is the the projection that one in five workers could be off with it at, at the peak. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and those figures came out the day after I spoke to Roger Goff. But uh, KCC uh, is is a key institution, organisation, if you like, because of the fact that it's dealing with some of these frontline services, which may uh, have challenges uh, if the kind of uh, the, the rate of contraction of the virus and the numbers involved does come to fruition. You know, typically things like social services staff, you know, visiting vulnerable people uh, and making those appointments. Schools, what's going to happen if uh, someone at a school, a teacher or a student, uh, comes down with the virus, and they, in theory, they will, they would have to instantly shut the school. So there are there are real worries, but uh, it's more a case of wait. We'll have to wait and see. I think. Which which sounds like an echo of every time we talked about Brexit last year <laughs> yeah. as well. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, obviously, there is a plan. Although I should note, there's not not a plan that is visible to the uh, to the public on. Uh, any uh, of the websites that I've been looking at uh, and that will involve contingency measures uh, to either move staff around, keep schools open or contract other people to come in and help deliver some of these kind of vulnerable services. But you know, every part of the country is going possibly going to be facing the same issues. So, you know, if KCC, the Kent County Council, uh, suddenly and it finds itself in a position of needing more kind of social care workers it's not going to be the only one which is you know needing that kind of additional support yeah uh, as you say that we're pretty much uh we're, we're together in this with every other uh, county across the country yes quite yeah, coronavirus. yeah i mean I, already i think you know there's a there's a there's an impression that schools are very much kind of a uh a pinch point on this issue because you know we've had stories already of 
schools who've had skiing trips in northern Italy come back and, you know, concerns about uh, their uh, health and being asked to go into kind of voluntary isolation for a week or so. Uh, and, you know, within schools, large gatherings of people, infection might be transmitted quite quickly. I suppose what Kent County Council, among other institutions, are going to want to also make sure is that... that hysteria doesn't spread with this idea because I, I suppose what's difficult about the coronavirus is that the symptoms are very much the same as a standard flu which means that yeah. you 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 might ne- feel like you need to self-isolate even if you don't have it that that's the I guess suppose the difficulty yeah. and it? Uh, isn't it the case that uh, you can pass on the infection even if you've got no symptoms so you could actually be supposedly inf- yeah you could be a carrier yeah yeah, yeah. so so I mean I you know I hate to use that phrase it's a question of wait and see but I think uh, KCC has got plans in place and uh, we'll, we will wait and see what those uh, plans are as and when the circumstances demand. You can head to uh, Kent County Council's COVID nineteen advice page. I did earlier, uh, and one of the uh, bullet points on the advice says uh, cover your mouth when you sneeze with a tissue um, or your sleeve. Yeah, I know you've got to think about sneezing. That's a into bit your disgusting, sleeve. isn't well, it? Well, I don't you think I, I, what they actually mean is the crook of their crook of your elbow, isn't but it? But that's not a sleeve, Paul. That's no. the arm. Uh, In fact, arm. that's that's so far up to the arm. That's almost the armpit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, I feel like that that perhaps isn't. I mean, well, don't um, sneeze on your maybe sleeve. they went for the rhyme sort of the, the rhyming slang bit of it, sleeve, sneeze, you know, as a kind of slogan. If that's which, the level we're at, then I, I'm yeah. fearful for all of us. But either way, the serious point is, of course, that you shouldn't... <laughs> oh, there's a serious point. You shouldn't sneeze or, sneeze over people. Don't sneeze on people. Also, don't use your hand. That was the other, that was the other bullet yeah. point. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Yes, yeah, so it's quite interesting with dealing with a kind of potential pandemic and the one piece of concrete advice that's being dispensed by health organisations is don't sneeze over people, which you, <laughs> which you wouldn't normally do in, in any case, or most people would try to avoid. And wash your hands to singing happy birthday twice. Mm, mm. So, yes, don't forget happy birthday. We're not going to go to the lengths of singing that on, on, on today's no, podcast. That's happened not elsewhere. To, even though it's our 10th but. Birthday? Can we have a chance? <laughs> Birth- you can't have a birthday. We've only been around for two months. No. I don't think that's really... Um, yeah. Uh, I think we should move on from coronavirus, don't you? Just a quick word about... Oh, he's, he's, he wants to carry just on. A Forget quick, it. Just a quick word about how this is playing out politically, because as ever, there is a political dimension to all of this. Uh, and uh, it, I think it's going to be a real challenge for the government. Uh, and Boris Johnson has you know, arguably belatedly taken charge. But I think... This comes against a backdrop of the resignation of Sajid Javid, the issue of bullying amongst uh, uh, in the Home Office, uh, and uh, well, there was something else, but I can't remember what it was. What it was, but the the kind of the, we've tend to tended to forget that Boris Johnson has got an eighty seat majority, and yet storm clouds are gathering on a whole load of different issues which you you would have thought might not be the case you know, in such a short period of time. Yeah, I suppose the cards haven't been dealt particularly well for him. No, um, I mean, floods, that was the other thing. Oh, no, floods, floods, yeah, so floods, floods coronavirus, storms, Brexit. Brexit, mm. Priti Patel, Sajid Javid. Which is a lovely segue, Paul, onto, onto the accusations surrounding Priti Patel, which yes. I thought we should maybe briefly touch on. Yes. Um, so Philip Rutman, who is one of the highest-ranking civil servants, resigned on a Sunday um, with accusations of, of um, bullying and, and malpractice. Paul, 
resignations surely aren't a normal thing on a Sunday, are they? I Waking up on a Sunday and seeing someone <laughs> standing in a suit resigning, it felt like yes. a fairly big deal to do that. Well, I think this is a... It is a big deal and it is important. And I think uh, it's uh, the fact that we're getting a, an inquiry, albeit not an independent inquiry, is of itself uh, interesting given what was uh, ha- what happened at the weekend. There's a part of me which thinks this is pre- kind of a bit of a Westminster village story. You know, the classic kind of uh, civil servants versus their political masters. Um, a bit like the, watching BBC's The Thick of It. Uh, yes, although potentially a bit more serious than, a, <laughs> than the thing. So um, I, the, the, the Conservatives seem to be kind of circling the wagons around Priti Patel, uh, but there seems to be uh, a kind of steady stream of other complaints coming out about her. I've never interviewed Priti Patel, and the one uh, time that she did come to Kent recently was uh, in October last year, post-Brexit, um, when she visited the Maidstone Kent Police training headquarters for a kind of fairly c- contrived, stage-managed uh, PR exercise. And the weird thing was, was that we said, oh, we, will she be giving interviews? And we said, and the, the organisers said, no. Um, Home Office officials said, no, she won't be giving in any interviews. You are there to observe. Ooh. <laughs> Which, know, you know your place, Paul Francis. Yes, I know, yeah. So um, it didn't, didn't go down too well. Particularly no. with anyone who, who of the kind of me- local media who got that kind of message too. So, um, yes, we'll wait. We'll, another, we'll wait mm-hmm. and see what happens. Well, I was going to say, could this have any repercussions for civil servants at a local level? Seeing poli- is this is this the political Me Too movement? I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't think it is. I th- shut me down straight away. Then my no, my my sense is that this is this is an uh, uh, an issue relating to Priti Patel. The minister and the way in which uh, some people don't like the way she manages things or operates. So this isn't going to open up the floodgates for I, yeah uh, wider. I mean, I think what the government might be worried about is that if this guy uh, goes the the whole hog, as it were, and take the government to court via a uh, tribunal, then a lot of stuff might come out into the open, which, if not, kind of. Um, doesn't necessarily validate his particular claims, will shed the operations of the Home Office in a pretty poor light. And I think that's the worry that the government has. Very interesting, though. I mean, how can you have an independent inquiry when Michael Gove, who's in charge of it, uh, says Pretty Patel is, is like the next best thing to, you know, slice bread? Mm, mm. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Mm, OK, then. Talking Points. Ken's Politics Podcast. Paul, you had the pleasure of attending the Labour hustings. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. on, on a Saturday. On a, uh, my Lovely. devotion to my job knows no end. Mm, I travelled to Brighton. Very nice. Well, what were your takeaways from that? And uh, I don't mean what you ate. Well, takeaways were never to go to a South East hustings meetings on a Saturday when there are bus replacement <laughs> services instead of a proper train. Um but yeah, this the, a bit of background to this. The hustings was arranged because uh, there was a lot of complaints from Labour activists and supporters that all the uh, original hustings were taking place in the north of England and in the cities, and nothing at all in any part of the southeast, and, and nothing at all in Kent. So the Labour Party hastily organised uh, an, uh, an additional hustings and chose Brighton to host it, the Grand Hotel, on the seafront. Very nice. 
Um, and uh, the, the call for this, I think, was actually vindicated by the fact that the, the, the room they packed, they had booked, was absolutely rammed. I had mm. you know, four or 500 people uh, asking questions. Um, so, I mean, my sense of the hustings was that it was like it was a political equivalent of a, a score draw, if you like. There was no clear winner. No one really cut through. They all said uh, things in a very kind of authoritative and convincing voice. And you couldn't, ne couldn't always tell what the difference was between them. Um, my, my overriding impression was that Keir Starmer looks at this stage to be the one who will be seen as the favourite just because I think people see him as one of the, of the three, the, the person most likely to bring the party together uh, and not have kind of uh, acrimonious internal factional fighting, which is what happened under Corbyn. So we're talking about, uh, oh, and we've talked a bit about Keir Starmer on the podcast before, but someone who is more centrist, who yes. is likely to bring some of those people who used to vote Labour, who voted Conservative in the last general election, maybe bring them back yes. into the fore. yeah. Exactly. And uh, uh, we did approach all of the three candidates to interview and only one uh, responded positively. That was Lisa Nandy. So I spoke to her after the hustings uh, and she had she has, you know, a growing number of people who admire her and think she's got potential, but don't necessarily see her as being the next leader. But uh, she's very keen on making sure that the local uh, regional media is supported and sustained. She's made a big thing of that. And I'd forgotten that she actually announced her intention to be, to run in the campaign in her local newspaper in Wigan. Oh, OK. Uh, so she, she deliberately chose the, a local paper because, you know, this, this sense that, that we are more kind of trustworthy and uh, less kind of campaigning than or politically campaigning than the national press that obviously makes people like me and you feel quite good it does yeah mm. and that's obviously what perhaps lies behind some of it <laughs> and, and obviously more importantly as well so um and something i wanted to bring up just because i'm a, I, we're both music fans oh yes uh was the inevitable desert island discs yes. question that came up yeah. um yeah, so I mean, I'll run through them. So Rebecca Long Bailey picked "Everybody's in the Place" by the Prodigy. Interesting choice. Yeah, not a track I know, but yeah. is it not? No. Oh, in, not not in your sort of nineties no. rave days, Paul. Mm, yeah, I didn't have any nineties rave oh, days, you... at least not that I can remember. I mean, I didn't either because I was, you know, sub ten years old. Yeah. Um, Keir Starmer went for a, a song by Edwin Collins, and uh, Lisa Nandy went for "Toxic" by Britney Spears. Yes, great track to be fair. Well, she said it's not. She said she'd mentioned it before, and. Uh, People have said, oh, it's a guilty pleasure. And she said, no, it's not a guilty pleasure. It's uh, completely such a fantastic pop tune. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with Lisa and Andy on that. I uh, that's, uh, a good, Edwin a good I mean, Keir Starmer gets my vote for choosing Edwin Collins. I'm a big Edwin Collins fan. And uh, he's obviously going for the jangly guitar kind of... Uh, Contingent. Soulful, soulful <laughs> vote. Yeah. No, no mad no mad choices there. No, not really, no. No death metal. But, I mean... Uh, could you extrapolate anything from any of these choices as indicating one thing or another about them? No, not no, at all. No. I thought you were about to challenge me. Uh, no, glad I, you didn't. I, I couldn't. I've been thinking of ways in which they might do, but uh, sadly, there. There's nothing to be decoded in those choices, I don't think. Well, we'll get our best coders on that. We'll see yes. what we can find out. Talking Points, Ken's Politics Podcast. Uh, we're now uh, going to continue on with, with a, something that we've called a saga on this on this podcast. 
quite a few times now. Um, so there, we had a court ruling last week which blocked the construction of a new runway at Heathrow. Quite a big deal in all the national press. Um, what was the argument for another runway at such a huge airport anyway, Paul? Well, it, it was partly because Heathrow is, is seen as falling behind other international airports like Schiphol, which are, and I'm going to use the word I don't normally use, hub airports. Which, it's not jargon bit yet. Paul. Not jargon not bit, jargon yes, bit. But you know, uh, the comparison is often made with Schiphol Airport, which kind of draws in a lot of international airlines uh, and routes and passengers, obviously. And that's where Heathrow needs to be in the market. So, uh, But it can only be in that market with another runway. So it is important decision. Uh, and I think what was interesting was, just quickly on this, was the government kind of effectively washed its hands of any further involvement in the uh, in the kind of plan for a third runway, which gets Boris Johnson off the hook potentially, but does mean that attention is focused elsewhere. Mm, and this is where the saga is. So Manston Airport. So, yes, yeah, so is this where I take over as chairman? Or well, know? not quite, not, not quite. quite. Okay. We'll do our flip in a in a in a second. So. Um, Obviously now fresh attention has, has gone back on Manston. The development consent order decision will be made by May as to whether the government will allow Manston to go ahead as an airport once again. And um, Paul, what were what were reactions from, from local MPs on well, Friday about this? Not not surprisingly, because they they are both assiduous supporters of uh, reopening Manston, both the Thanet MPs, Sir Roger Gale and uh, Craig McKinley, both came out with very strong statements saying it's uh, we need to act soon. Uh, to get Manston Airport open because it's got the facilities to take some of this cargo freight stuff, which they're talking about. But I think that was not really in the expectation that the government would suddenly say, yes, OK, we'll green light Manston, because they can't, basically, because there's a judicial kind of quasi-judicial process involving this d- development consent order, which has been delayed by a few months uh, until May. But I think, you know, there's there's a sign here that Manston might actually, in time, benefit from the Heathrow decision. Mm, mm, exactly. But... Oh, is, 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 oh is, yeah, go, go on. Yes. This well, is smooth. This is, this is where I take over as the host of the programme for once and talk to my uh, fellow journalist, reporter, ally, Ollie, about a story that you've written, Ollie, because you've you managed to break a very interesting story which kind of ties in with the whole Heathrow, could Manston be revived sooner rather than later question. So tell us a little bit about what you um, yeah. discovered. Well, so I went on, I actually went for a walk and a drive around Manston Airport. It um, must have been a long walk. Yeah, yeah, no, only a very small walk, quite a long drive, because um, actually the widest runway in the world. And the longest, not the uh, longest. No, not the longest. Tony Freudman, who I was walking around with, who's the director of uh, River Oak Strategic Partners, who, who owned Manston, was quite clear to say not the longest, but maybe the seventh or eighth longest. Not that interesting anyway. But just besides that point, we had a long conversation on uh, what Manston might bring to the local area, what it, what it could do in terms of cargo, passengers. One of the most interesting things uh, about potential preliminary talks and developments was this discussion that they're having currently with the London Port Authority. The idea would potentially be, if Manston could start up again, is to be able to bring inbound cargo into Manston, truck it down to the port of Ramsgate, and then use carbon neutral shipping to take it up along the side of Kent 
and into the River Thames and into London, which would be a brand new trade route that has never actually been used before. So, and you, you spoke to the Port of London Authority about this, who didn't exactly give their blessing to it, but I mean, uh, <laughs> corroborated the fact that it was something they were in discussions about. Yeah, uh, they said very preliminary, which is nice and cautious, isn't yeah. it? Nice and cautious. But they have said that they are in some stage of talks about whether that would be feasible. Obviously, there's a lot of markers that would have to be hit before that could even happen. I mean, we're still a few months away from the government, as we said, deciding on whether Manston can even be green lit. And it's going to take it would i mean the the project of manston airport is going to be a, even if it's greenlit a fair few years down the line i mean they're talking about an initial investment of 300 million to to get the project up and running they eventually want to have four to five planes landing and taking off an hour but there is going to be a significant amount of construction and things to actually go into this project before uh, it and, was and to we should we shouldn't forget that you know there are voices on the other side of the argument who don't want to see Manston reopen as yes. an airport. Yes, uh, there were some of the questions that I put uh, to uh, Tony Freudman, and actually, just a shameless plug, if you want to listen to the whole conversation, I spoke to him on the KM Community podcast, which we'll put a link up for. Um, listen to us first. So. Yeah, obviously. obviously, I'm fighting with myself slightly <laughs> there. But, um, and one of them, obviously, uh, noise is a big issue. There's something that, that residents have brought up at, at some of these DCO meetings, public meetings. Um, but, well, the way that... that Tony Freudman decided to counteract that was saying actually back when Manston was running the planes were at a significantly less technological advantage in terms of their how loud they are and now planes are much quieter so that was one of the one of the things that he yeah, suggested. I, I, I think that's an interesting point is in terms of the technology uh, and the kind of fuel issue that has genuinely moved on because as aircraft carriers are now sort of, sort of researching and designing you know, prototypes of planes which don't rely exclusively on fuel. Mm. So, I mean, I think there is something in that. I mean, some people might say it's quite a bizarre, not bizarre, but quite a, an ambitious project to sort of tie in cargo freight flying, being flown in and then going on the kind of around Thames Estuary and up. up. Yeah. Um, and 300 million is an awful lot of money. Is he saying that's what's going to be needed up front? Or? That was what he said the initial investment would yeah. be. I mean, so for one of the things, and we're getting a little bit technical here, is when we were going around the runway, I and mean, there was a, a phrase that I think Craig McKinley used, which was, was shovel, did he say Shuff, shovel ready? Shovel ready, ready yes, Which is yeah. something I've never heard of before. Yes. So he said Manston's shovel ready, which technically isn't really true. Because Manston, as part of Manston's development, the the way the gradients work on the current runway aren't aren't actually okay to be used with with modern uh, right. airplanes, yeah. which means that that would have to be completely retarmacked, and yeah. you need a new air control tower. That's an awful lot of potholes that could be fixed. A lot of yeah. potholes, yeah. And it's and interesting to also say that on my visit there, there were still a lot of um, there was a lot of markings out for Operation Brock, which yes. was one of the uh, one of the things that Manson I suspect they'll I suspect they'll leave those until next January. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably what's going to happen. I mean, Tony was quite tight lipped on on that and that whole deal. Really, I didn't really get that much well, information I mean, out of that. We, the River Oak strategic partners and before then the previous owners were both getting paid quite significant sort of uh, uh, sum of money from the government to kind of hold Manson as a kind of emergency lorry park. So, uh, 
my understanding is that arrangements or that contract runs up until December. Yeah, and I feel it seemed like from talking to Tony that they're fairly keen on obviously getting the Manston project off the ground as oh, pardon the pun as uh, as quickly as they possibly can. So I don't think they really want it around that much longer. No, uh, although the Manston saga has been going on an awful long time, and mm. uh, you know there'll be many more twists and turns in it. But good story, and uh, well done for getting it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And well, obviously any any updates and developments, we'll we will make sure we discuss it on this podcast bear in mind it, it affects so many people in so many ways um one more thing as we always do is our jargon phrase of the week uh paul go on what is it well you may have heard some politicians and medical experts talk about this uh which is where i picked it up driving around social distancing in relation to the corona crisis see see it sounds like social distancing is some kind of philosophical notion yes. is, it? is it not that it's not about going into woods on your own and uh, philosophizing. <laughs> it's well, whatever else you might do in the woods. Um, no comment there. No comment. This is a phrase which effectively uh, captures. Uh, well, what it what it means is that um, we're talking about events where large groups of people gather, basically, and in the context of keeping a check on the coronavirus. Politicians say we need to uh, make sure that we're social distancing ourselves. And that really means we need to make sure that, uh, as far as we can, that there aren't large gatherings of people where infection might spread. So festivals so and fo- football, food, ma- football, yeah, matches, football matches, queues yeah. for Greg's. <laughs> That's uh, not a big... Is that a big gathering? Actually, well, yeah. I've been down Gillingham High Street. It is a big gathering. <laughs> so, yes... And it's kind of an academic phrase which has been coined to um, uh, say we need to be careful about and as far as we possibly can to avoid having events where large gatherings of people are there. So all those Glastonbury ticket holders, watch out. Ooh, Castle Concerts. Castle well. Concerts, yeah. In, uh, football in matches, Gillingham football matches. I know it sounds a bit, we're joking a little bit about it, but, um, you know, it it's quite it's becoming a distinct possibility that we will see you know uh, some of this happening. Italy has just as we started recording this announced that it's closing all its schools for two weeks. Is that right? I believe that's the the case. Yeah, yeah. I believe that's the case. E- even though you know they may be on top of the kind of the uh, contagion and the infections, they've decided that the only way to really kind of try and halt it is fairly radically to close schools and you know if for example one school in Kent a case arose in which a pupil had contracted uh, the virus th- the school would actually have to close pretty sharpish uh, and you're, that's the kind of dramatic consequence you might see as a result of um you know what's happening. You could see a domino effect of schools uh, closing. Yeah, we're not going to have to socially distance this podcast, are we? And no, do it remotely. This is, this is the advantage of being in uh, the company of just one person. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a large. Yeah, even if we had our audience it's, in yeah. it, it wouldn't be large. No, right? that's true. Yeah, we could do it, we could do it live, and it's. We, we still wouldn't have to social distance ourselves. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Paul. Thank you to all our listeners, uh, and we will be back next week. Goodbye. Talking Points, Ken's Politics Podcast.